0: Hi there, on behalf of National Queer Theater and Dixon Place, we are so excited to welcome you to the second annual Criminal Queerness Festival presented in partnership with the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs and New York City Pride. My name is Adam Odses Rubin. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm the Founder and Artistic Director of National Queer Theater.
1: Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, go for it. oh, Oh,
1: okay, it says my audio is off. Uh, hi, everybody. <laughs> my name is Ellie Kovan. I'm the artistic director of Dixon Place. So my pronouns are flexible. We're so grateful for your joining us. If you are joining us, we hope you're joining us. Uh, we're having some technical difficulties. Um, the Criminal Queerness Festival features queer playwrights from countries that criminalize LGBTQ communities. And of course, during these very challenging times, it's artists who give us the most insight, hope and healing.
0: We'd like to take a moment of silence now to honor our black siblings who have been taken from us through violence and especially our black trans siblings who have fallen to transphobia. Thank you.
1: The festival is made possible with the generosity of the Mayor's Cultural Impact Award through the Department of Cultural Affairs and New York City Pride, and donors like you. If you're able to support the festival, our artists, our panelists, and everyone who's worked so hard to make this happen, we invite you to visit nationalqueertheatre.org donate, and anything that you contribute is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much.
0: Today, we have a very special panel for you on uh, one of our plays from the festival, She, Me by Amal Rafael Khoury. Uh, about queer and trans activism in the Middle East. Now, I'd like to introduce you to the director of Shihimi, Sivan Batat. Sivan?
2: Hi, everyone. Um, Hello from whatever time zone you're joining us. I am thrilled to be here um, moderating this panel today um, with an exquisite group of panelists to speak on this topic. Um, as Adam said, I'm the director of Amal Khoury's play, She, He, Me, which will be live streaming this Sunday through the Criminal Queerness Festival and it'll be available to view for a few days following that online as well. Um, and today we're here to speak about uh, transgender and queer transnational activism in the Middle East. And while we do so, we're going to keep a frame on an understanding that some of these topics are global issues, and that state-sanctioned violence against queer and trans people are also systems that are happening domestically in the United States, where I'm speaking from at this moment. Um, so, I'd really love to introduce our panels to our panelists today. Um, I'll introduce Puya Musseni first. Puya is Puya can join us. There she is. Um, Puya is an Iranian-American actor, writer, filmmaker, and transgender activist. She's co-producer, star, and writer of Transit, a short film about love between a trans woman and a cis man coming in 2020. And we also have joining us Hashem Hashem, who is a queer feminist poet, performer, and activist based in Beirut, Lebanon. He holds an MA in Gender Studies from SOAS University of London, and he's the regional campaigner on Syria and Saudi Arabia at Amnesty International. And finally, we have Rafael Amal Hori, who is a Jordanian transgender playwright and theater maker living in Berlin. Hori is the author of several plays, including She, which will be in the Criminal Queerness Festival, a documentary play on the lives of trans and non-binary Arabs. Thank you so, so much all of you for joining us today for this conversation. It's a real privilege and honor to, to hold this space together as we talk about these topics, particularly in this moment when there's so much grief, both in our community and also in the United States community. Um, so I'd love to begin uh, today with Puya, and I'll ask you, Puya, first, if you can tell us a little bit about your background in activism in the Middle East and in the region you're talking about, and tell us a little bit about the particular challenges of queer and, tra- and transgender activism in that region.
3: Um, hi, everyone. I'm Puya. I was born and raised in Tehran, Iran, and I've been in New York now for over 23 years. Um, When you talk about queer activism in the Middle East, I feel that the simple act of being queer and being out about it is activism. Because where you're in a place that there are no laws that support you, um, that give you a seat in society, that... um, defend your rights, uh, your opportunities to uh, get work or go to school or be simply safe, that you don't have that. And in some cases you have laws specifically forbidding your existence and your interaction with other people in your community. The sheer act of existing and being open is activism. Um, somebody said this once, they're like, if you're, an, if you're a trans person who's out, you are activists, whether you want to or not. Um, as someone who was born and raised in Iran and I went through school there, whether it's you know, being bullied at school, whether it's walking down the street and being very aware that there is no law, no single person, that's mission is to protect you, um, your livelihood and your rights, you realize you're pretty much on your own. Um, And what I do now in this stage of my life, you know, being a little older, more secure in my personal life and using my art to educate people, to raise awareness, to, quote unquote, normalize my community. I personally really dislike that statement because, I mean, you know, what's so great about being normal to begin with. But at the very least, uh, you know, put this concept out that trans people are there, that they do exist, that they have always existed, that we come in a plethora of colors, that trans people doesn't just mean trans women, doesn't just mean trans men. There are non-binary people who need to be seen, uh, who need to be accepted, who need to be affirmed. And how I use my stance as an artist, as an actor, as a writer, uh, as an activist, um, is wherever I can either uh, individually be able to talk to people who are in the Middle East, because I do speak to young queer people who are either in Iran or have just left Iran and are trying to get asylum somewhere, at the very least be able to speak to them. Like... uh, a friend, like a sibling, like a mother, and let them know that the fact that the world doesn't see them, the fact that the world doesn't give them room in society to be is not their fault. It is not something of their doing. And this is something very sad about the queer community in the Middle East, because we keep hearing the fact that there's something wrong with us, that we are sick, that somehow we've done this, horrible thing against God, that God hates us, that has infiltrated so deep within our psyche that even when we move out of those immediate circles uh, that vilify us, that sense of guilt and shame is so deep that we carry with us without even knowing. And that causes a whole lot of other issues from uh, depression, isolation, uh, being withdrawn from society, hating oneself, and I just try to undo a little bit of that in my modest capacity to at the very least let them know that if nobody else, that I'm here to tell them that there's nothing wrong with them, that God doesn't hate them, that they're not an abomination and that there's someone who's willing to see them and affirm them as they are. That's my version of activism.
2: Thank you, Puya. Um, Hashem, let's go to you. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your background in activism in the region and some of the particular challenges that you've encountered?
4: Sure. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, So basically, my background in activism is that uh, during my late teenage years, I joined a support group in Beirut for queer and uh, trans individuals. Um, And it was kind of my first uh, exposure to what it means to be in a collective, what it means to be part of something bigger, uh, politicizing your personal uh, life and your personal feelings and your personal uh, identity. Um, And since I've joined this group uh, that I won't be naming for security purposes, but since I've joined this group, I felt that uh, there is so much to do about this world, like beyond myself. Um, and this has led me always to be very interested in uh, in the uh, intersectionality of struggles. So it's not only about one aspect of my identity, which is my queer identity or my transness. It is about many other things. It's about race, it is about uh, my class. It is about uh, the skin colors that I, in the body that I live in. Uh, it's about opportunities. Um, It is about interference from also external states in my country or in my region as well. Um, So all of these things make me feel that I am very much part and parcel of my community and my country, despite me feeling that, as Puya was saying, there is hostility around me, and it's certainly not only in the Middle East. As as I, I need to to assert because I don't like the the narrative of you know like everywhere in the world is fine but the Middle East is bad um, I mean every every area has its own uh, challenges so of course we do have our legal issues in Lebanon for instance against uh, uh, unnatural sex so it does not name LGBT but it, it names unnatural sex that's what's criminalized and it's actually a French uh, a French law from the French colonialism colonial uh, uh, era. Uh, so to move on basically uh, this has has led us for instance in, in lebanon to have intersectional struggles such as the invasion of Iraq in 2003 by the u.s forces so this was one thing that uh, uh, many queers marched against as well because we thought that uh, interference and specifically military interference in our uh, countries and our region is not going to bring us neither democracy nor freedom not for queers not for anyone else Um, So this kind of of struggle I still see now, and I still hope for our transnational struggles to also take that into consideration and to not go always for the easy answer, which is, you know, there's a cultural difference, the Middle East hates gays, the Middle East hates... So so there is a lot to do as well about working with our brothers and sisters in the US and in Europe and in quote unquote, first world countries to also tackle issues of uh, uh, global, North Global South relationships, um, and, and just move away from the you know the savior narrative of uh, of people from outside coming to save the gays in the Middle East because it's inaccurate and it can backlash and it's just counterproductive for me. So this is the background I come from. Uh, this intersectional understanding of struggles um, and the need for our organizing, our transnational organizing to always be open to these issues and not only to uh, our personal identities.
2: Thank you, asham Thank you for that. Um, we'll go to Amal. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and, and the work that you do?
5: Um, I do theater. I'm an artist and uh, a little bit about my background. Um, I, I came to discover my own uh, gender and sexuality um, at a time in the '90s when there was very little information and uh, the internet didn't really exist. There was some semblance of email, but that was about it. So um, there was um, a lot of shame and stigma, and um, uh, you know, as Puya was saying, it was <laughs> it was quite a rough terrain at that time. I was uh, studying at university in Beirut and. Um, the only thing that I heard uh, was that the, the the way that I loved or who I was was illegal and so um, it's it's it made me hate myself a lot and to run away from home and to get disowned by my parents and um, you know as also Pui was saying to face a lot of bullying and stigma and isolation and loneliness and um it took a long time to, to, you know, not feel guilty and not feel bad and um, uh, eventually I, I, I left Beirut and then came back and um, I started to work in theatre and um, I, I wanted to direct plays, I wanted to be a stage director and an actor and those things were also very difficult for somebody with a profile like me being queer and trans back then it's like there was no representation for somebody like me there was no roles that I could play nowadays you have women playing Hamlet but in the 90s that was absolutely unheard of to have a woman just a a woman or a a female assigned person playing Hamlet and so um, when it came time for me to stage a play I couldn't find the the play that I wanted to stage and so I thought you know I heard about documentary theater and I thought oh, maybe I need to write this play because you know uh, where where I'm from there's a whole lot of stories but there's very very little scripts very little number of scripts and so uh, I didn't know how to do it but um, I interviewed my friends at the same place that Hashem was discussing actually we met each other then and um, I interviewed my friends from the center, and uh, that's how she, he, me came about. And so uh, my activism is very much um, rooted in, in, in the arts and in the, the, the need to see uh, represent LGBT rep- representation on stage, which is my medium.
2: Thank you, Matt. Um, thank you to all three of you for that introduction to this conversation. Um, I just want to share with our participants that uh, we'll leave about the last 15 or 20 minutes for a Q&A. So if you have questions that come up for the panelists as we go through, you can use the Q&A function um, in the Zoom format to put those in, and then we'll, we'll look at some of those questions in the last few, last 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, so thank you for this introduction to your work. and. Um, I'd like to speak specifically around uh, this region and something that's coming up a lot in the United States right now is around looking at state sanctioned violence and systems of state sanctioned violence. And so something I really appreciate that you brought in Hashem is that this conversation is by no means unique to the Middle East. And by no means are we bringing sort of like a Western gaze of saying saviorism towards this region. We're talking about transnational intersections between various struggles and also about colonialism writ large and how it's intersecting with uh, homophobia with transphobia in different places. Um, so She, He, me specifically um, discusses the true stories of struggles of queer and trans folks in this region and speaks in many ways to how the state sanctions violence against those people. I'd love if we can briefly speak about some of those, those state sanctioned systems and how that functions in this region, um, if there are any particularities any of you would like to lift out about that system and, and what their implications might be.
3: I would like to actually um, follow on what Hashem said that some of the anti-LGBT laws that exist in the Middle East did not actually originate in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. They came from, uh, in Hashem's case, um, as they said, they came from France, but in the places where uh, United Kingdom uh, had their own uh, colonies, they brought their uh, buggery laws that had started, uh, I don't know, in the 15th century or 16th century, really as a political ploy to uh, undermine uh, the political opponents. But then it was brought to the colonies. That is how some of those laws were introduced uh, in Iran. And I'm not saying before that, you know, it's like There was LGBT uh, representation, but there were no specific laws um, against, let's say, you know, like the sodomy laws and things like that that existed. And again, they were used as political ploys about 100 years ago in Iran between different fractions. Uh, uh, You know, one person would accuse the other person of being a sodomite because of whatever else it was that they were trying to accomplish, but the laws have stayed and let's say, in Iran, specifically within the LGBTQ community, there's something very strange because being gay is illegal. If you are caught in a homosexual act, you could be sentenced to death. Um, and some people are actually persuaded, and I use that term very um, uh broadly um, are persuaded to have corrective surgery because it's perceived that gender uh, affirming surgery is actually corrective surgery that can take um, a homosexual person and turn them straight. You know, just imagine like if that is the mindset that if you take a gay man and you give them um, surgery then they're gonna be a straight woman. So this gives you an idea of how much education needs to be done in order for people to even understand that gender and sexual orientation are not on the same spectrum. And the fact that those laws exist, but then on the other side of that, within Iran, within this um, faulty uh, mindset, uh, while the government helps trans people uh, get their certification to uh, have their surgery, there's no space created for trans people to actually exist. So the only thing that's actually uh, given permission is for you to have the surgery. Now, creating education for what does transition actually mean, um, none of that exists, no protections exist, so a trans person can be fired or can be thrown out of their parents' home and all of those things. But what I'm also noticing is the younger generation they are not letting that stop them. Yes, uh, uh, many of them leave the country, but they are vocal. And I think like Amal said, the, the advent of being able to connect with other people through the internet, which means that you, connect, you can connect with somebody who's not in the same town that you're at, not even in the same country that you're at. And at the very least, allowing these individual dots around the country to know that one, they're not alone, to figuring out how other people are finding their path. And I think also people beyond the LGBTQ community and especially parents being able to see that there are trans people, that there are queer people who are successful, who are trying to make their way in life. And in that way allows those parents to be a little more open to the fact that while their child may be queer, that that doesn't mean the end of their life, that that doesn't mean they're not going to have a community or a love life or a future in society. And I feel that within the last 15, 10, 15 years, that has helped a lot of people at the very least to be able to connect and feel seen.
2: Absolutely. And what I'm hearing also in there, Puya, is that the the act of of chosen family is also an act of activism and an act of Very movement much so. that can happen across borders, across lines, um, across communities. And that's something specifically, I'll just lift out that, that Shihimi I think really does focus on is what does it mean to have chosen queer family and how do we how do we as queer people and queer people of this identity show up for one another? Um, exactly. Across experiences, across borders, across miles. Um, Hashim or Emma, would you like to speak to either the colonial piece and the sort of imported colonial history of discriminatory legislation, or to any other piece of Kuya's work? Amal, do you want to go first?
5: Yeah, sure. Um, I can talk a bit about how censorship happens in the theater. For example, in Lebanon, uh, any script that wants to be produced has to pass through the censorship office, and that's very Kafkaesque. And um, so, for example, Hashem and I, we worked on uh, the first queer women's uh, uh, Arabic play, and uh, we did it in a closed performance um, at the American University of Beirut, and we had a specific list of invitees and we had no media because, you know, uh, many of the the women acting in the play were, were not out and it would jeopardize their safety. And then, for example, in I I am from Jordan, but in my own home country, something even like having a reading would be very, very, very risky. We don't have laws per se. However, it's very much taboo just by society. So people are self censoring just by socialization. Uh, Nowadays, there is there's been a backlash against LGBT. organizations and uh, they've been banned any publication LGBT publications are now banned in Jordan so for me it's been quite a struggle to uh, to exist as an artist and that's part of the reason why I find myself here in Germany is that I cannot uh, I cannot work uh, doing the kind of work that I want to do and um, Shihimi is uh, the first play about Arab trans people but it's never been done in in an Arab country Um, so this is very demoralizing to me, and uh, I never actually wanted it to be produced in, in, in English or in German. I wanted it to be done in Arabic, but that hasn't happened. So in terms of you know state legislation, that's what I deal with as, as an artist, and it's it can be quite discouraging, really. Hashem. <laughs>
4: thank you amas uh yes yeah, so basically maybe i can talk a little bit about the landscape in lebanon uh, given that that's where i've always lived and and done my my work and my activism um so in lebanon it's uh, i i have to admit that uh lebanon is a bit different from other uh, uh countries in the region because we re- we continue to have a tiny tinier a tiny margin of a bit more freedom to actually do some activism and produce some uh, queer plays or queer uh, uh, content, if you will, or yeah. queer art, uh, <clears throat> which I I can see, Amal can also comment on this, but I do not feel that this is the case in other countries in the region because, for instance, I mean, now we're two days, uh, two days ago, um, a friend and a sister, a queer sister, Sarah Gazi, um, died by suicide in Canada after, you know, going through Uh, hell in Egypt uh, after being imprisoned and tortured and sexually assaulted in prison for actually raising the rainbow flag at like a Lebanese band music festival in Cairo. Um, And this is, I mean, we're horrified. We're horrified that a person can actually end end up dying by suicide because they raised a flag. Um, And so this is not to say that we're all victims of this, but I think that different countries have different margins where queer people are constantly challenging the state and challenging the uh, uh, the increasing securitization and militarization of the states uh, in this uh, region. Uh, especially as we see popular uprisings and states get even more panicky about their authority and they try to always, you know, invoke moral panic over, I don't know, uh, 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 gay people and uh, Satan worshippers and what have you, uh, just to maintain this kind of grip over the society. Uh, However, to go back to to the main issue, in Lebanon it has been a bit of a different narrative because we've had um, starting in like back in the 90s, after the Lebanese civil war, we've had a few uh, a few uh, groups or organizations that started working on personal freedoms without specifically using the LGBT language per se, but rather personal freedoms um, in a wider sense. Uh, but then this also led in 2004, 2005 to the establishment of Halem, which is the first Arab LGBT um, organization that started talking about you know the legal aspect. Of decriminalizing uh, same-sex acts or what is called unnatural sex in the Lebanese penal code uh, and also working of course on healthcare access for uh, queer individuals in the country uh, and then a few other organizations pro- proliferated um, mainly do- doing healthcare work and legal uh, advocacy and community organizing um, and since then as well we've I mean I've been noticing that there is there are more allies uh, for the queer community. Uh, our voice is, um, we're more vocal as a community, as activists and as, as, as allies in Lebanon, not only about Lebanon, but also about our brothers and sisters and other countries around. Like for instance, Sarah, I mean, we held a vigil for Sarah yesterday at the Egyptian embassy to say that you know sh- she, you pushed her to actually leave this life, but her voice is going to stay. So um, for instance, in my case, I I use my poetry and my uh, performance. I'm not a professional performer, but I love theater. And so I end up working with professionals like Amal (laughs) to kind of bring that voice. Uh, But basically, so so I I invest in my poetry, which is in Arabic. And I don't know if, if many of you know, but Arabic is a very gendered language. It's very strict, like you always know what what gender the person you are talking to is because it's heavily gendered so I also try to bring in you know same-sex desire into this between women specifically um and to bring in queer eroticism into the poetry um and to also use that because I I, I do not only write but I also perform this poetry um, in different places in Lebanon uh and I currently host um, a radio segment uh um, of of Mainly queer poetry, uh, so I do believe that we've recently been using more art in Lebanon. Uh, I have to say in Beirut because we're also like you know, the the privileged elite, if you like, living in the capital and doing all this work, which is very important. But still, we have to remember that people in rural areas, people of different classes, do not have the privileges we have to make art and to you know, get our voice out there. Uh, but still, I like to see that the art scene is buzzing with queer people and with queer language and with uh, with queer values more and more. Um, so this is how I would say we are now. I mean, our current, current country now Lebanon is passing through extraordinary times of socioeconomic distress and crisis and uh, the, the new American sanctions also uh, being imposed on the country. Uh, by the US, Uh, so so this is also uh, affecting the whole situation in the country for queer people and non-queer people. Um, And we as queer people are part and parcel of the current uprising that is happening uh, here. Um, And we are finding the space and creating the space to bring in our issues and our values uh, into what used to be a few years ago, a very much like patriarchal heteronormative space of, uh, of, of protest and of public space. Um, I have a lot to say more, but I think I'll stop because I'm hogging the space.
2: Thank you, Hashem. Do either of you want to respond to any of that?
3: I I was fascinated. I was like, I was coming in. I'm like, Hashem, please say more. And this is also <laughs> what I'm realizing. This is definitely missing from um, the Iranian LGBT uh, activism. And I think it's very much because we have very strict laws criminalizing. I mean, if somebody can be imprisoned for 20-something years because they asked for the release of um, political prisoners, uh, where there are actually uh, activists in Iran who all they asked for was release of um, political prisoners, and they have been sentenced to jail for uh you know, 20-something years, um, that makes it very scary for anybody to do any sort of activism in Iran because it's met with very harsh force. You could literally disappear, uh, or you could end up in jail for decades with um, no sort of uh, conclusion to it as you know, kind of like the character that I play in Hishimi, um, because when you're in that system, you are at other people's mercy. Um, in Iran, even more so, and I'm not saying it's just Iran, but a lot of countries in that region uh, have a certain structure that. Uh, You can literally, if somebody wants you to disappear or go in darkness and never be heard from again, that is very much possible, which uh, scares a lot of activists from wanting to do that inside Iran. But again, that's where internet and this space, this virtual space comes in handy, because at the very least, even though those people cannot actually go out on the street, they can connect across borders across cities, across continents, and at the very least know that those people are there, they exist, and they are trying to stay true to who they are. And then there's also the cultural aspect of it, which does not really create space, uh, space for queer individuals,
2: unfortunately. Yeah, um, I seem to have lots of- I want that. Uh, sorry. Oh, no, by all means, go ahead, Hashi.
4: Sorry, OK, just a very quick intervention, because I wanted to talk about this. I mean, uh, the relationship without, because your original question was about the state. So our relationship with the state, I would say as queer groups or communities is always very uh, kind of uh, precarious, because at some point, it's, it's, in some ways, they kind of turn a, bl- a blind eye, is that how we say in English, to our activism. And then in other in other places, they crack down when they feel that we are getting more vocal or that, Religious clerics or, you know, conservative communities are getting a bit agitated by our activism. Then you'd see the state intervening and kind of striking a balance. You know, like you can do this, but this is a bit too much. Uh, we also had specifically gay men for years uh, undergo arrests and anal testing and, you know, courts for being who they are because it's punished up. To one-year imprisonment on natural sex, as I mentioned, Uh, but we've also seen some allies, some uh, in the judiciary system, come along and pass precedent uh, of uh, decriminalizing and saying that you know, no same-sex sex is not unnatural sex. So this is in the past five years, this has been a great progress for us. Uh, In the media, we've seen a lot of progress of, you know, media outlets attacking the state, calling them, you know, shameful for doing uh, the anal tests and all of that. And so the syndicate of doctors actually issued uh, a memo uh, demanding that police stations do not have the mandate to undergo these unscientific tests to decide a person's sexuality. Um, and and so the same happened with uh, the Association of Psychiatrists who issued uh, just two two years ago they issued a memo saying that homosexuality is not a disease it's not a disorder you cannot you know uh, deal with it as such uh, so we are seeing more and more um, changes in this but then again as I mentioned it's all also about a, a person's positionality you know how privileged they are or not how vulnerable they are to the state or not.
2: Thank you, Hashem. Amal, do you want to add anything? Last two there. Uh, Yeah, yeah.
5: Um, No, no. uh, Sorry, I got I got cut out. So I'll I'll let you continue.
2: Well, I just want to lift up a few of the things that have been said, which is you know speaking specifically about cultural work and arts and how those can works like poetry, works like plays can Mm -hmm. actually uh, traverse over these kinds of divides and, and connect activists across different regions. Um, and also just lifting up that something I'm hearing from each of you is, is the particularity of these places. I mean, Iran is not the same as Lebanon, it's not the same as Jordan. And even within each of those places, um, there's an incredible array of experiences that exist. Even within the play, this exists, someone from the South of Lebanon versus someone from Amman, Jordan. These are different experiences and these each come with their own uh, intersectional matrix of of race, of class, of various privileges. And uh, something I'll just lift up is that many of these struggles are also similar to the moment that we're seeing in the movements in the United States as well around um, trans healthcare, around black trans lives, around the sort of matrices of identities that um, make people more vulnerable to the state and more vulnerable to state violence. And um, so I'll just lift up those those particularities. I'd love to hear a little bit more uh, from any of you if you'd like. Um, either about specifically places of light and places of hope that, have, that you've seen, um, not to sugarcoat the experience, not to sort of wash it into some uh, uh, pink glow, but also just to lift up moments of, 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 of light and moments of hope that you're seeing, moments of change, um, if you'd like to share any.
3: Last year, uh, there is uh, an organization called Raha, which basically means freedom in, in Persian. Raha International, and they marched ahead of the New York Gay Pride Parade. I unfortunately couldn't be in it because I was in a play that day. Mm -hmm. But um, this entirely Iranian group of queer people, my mom was also part of it. uh, And there were people of different uh, generations. I, I'm gonna say unfortunately, but that seems to be uh, around the world that there was a lot more representation of gay cis men than any other, you know, like there was almost no representation uh, of um, gay women and even less representation of um, uh, trans-Iranians. But Also, one of the things I always say, when you're around long enough, you realize that everything is a give and take. So while it may not be as much as I like in some way, I'm still grateful that this thing exists that five years ago didn't. Um, That got uh, coverage in BBC Persia and a lot of the external uh, Persian-speaking outlets, whether it's part of Voice of America or BBC, that because sometimes we, we just think it's what the government does, but I what I see in Iran is the culture at large uh, has to evolve because governments can come and go, but the culture is there. So if these outlets, if these programs can uh, uplift one family out of darkness, if it can just add just a little more sprinkling of a positive representation of the community, then I use my own example. You know, when I first came out to my family, my family were completely lost. They they had never heard the term transgender. At that time, it was transsexual. Uh, they had never heard the term gender identity disorder. And everything that I do and everything that uplifts my soul is maybe one less family would have to go through that. Maybe one less family would have to come to a point of almost losing their child before they can... Move towards supporting their child as opposed to curing their child. And when I saw last year having this huge organization um, in New York, uh, LGBT parade, and that getting coverage, you know, maybe not everyone saw it in the Persian speaking community or in the Middle Eastern queer community. But if 10 families did, if those 10 families can be more supportive, if those 10 families can talk to their friends, that's how I believe true change comes uh, from, is those incremental steps. And what I tell my kids is change never comes at the speed that we wanted or in the amount that we want, but just know that change is always coming and all of us try to push that forward in our own capacities, uh, us here as artists.
2: Thank you. For should i go sure please
4: or Amal, I go ahead go, that ahead. I've
2: spoken a lot.
5: go <laughs> ahead um i i have seen a lot of change when it comes to the art scene like when i was writing this play um it was the only play of its sort and um and also when Hashem and i worked on the queer women's play it was the only play of its sort and we had to do it in private and uh, just like for one example would be like all of the the women and we actually had a non-binary person with us, so I'll say people in this play were um, very scared of their names or images getting out, which is why we don't have a record of that play that happened in 2014. And uh, we did a, a reading of it again in, in London, and every, every single one of them was, was out, at, like so many years later, they weren't afraid to have their names or to reshare it on social media, and so that was just already in those couple of years since doing the original piece and then doing a reading of it, there was a huge change in the lives of the actors themselves. Uh, I'm also seeing uh, a number of of performers now coming, uh, among them Hashem and wonderful performers in Beirut that are um, sharing queer uh, and trans stories uh, in Jordan as well, oddly enough. And my play was read uh, in a a closed session in Jordan and the, the teacher gave me a lot of positive feedback and I had never imagined that my play would ever ever be read in Jordan in any kind of context. Uh, I was approached in London uh, by a Jordanian person who said, hey, I'm Jordanian and I'm queer, and I I heard about your play and it helped me so much. And and he he just stopped me in the middle of the street. I was walking out and, you know, it was just, I felt like that that made it all worth it, you know, all the isolation and marginalization and struggle just to have that one person come up to me and thank me for doing that. And so I don't actually know if art can can create a change in people's lives. I think this is a question that we need to ask readers and audience members. It's not for me as an artist to declare that that my art can make a change. So um, I'm more interested in what um, the audience has to say about that. I know for me growing up, just had I remember there was a bookstore in Jordan that had um, Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit by Janet Winterson, how much that book meant to me just to have it and to read it or, and to think, to see my own existence reflected back or poetry by Adrian Rich. Uh, I had a collection with me when I was in the dorms in, in Beirut in the 90s in college and I had it very carefully hidden between, between my books so that nobody could see it and I would read it when I was alone in the room because we, I had a roommate in the same room. And it was, those things were, those things were like cornerstones of my existence. So um, I know also, however, that the the more that we come out and represent ourselves, the more we have backlashes. And we're seeing that now in the case of Sara, for example, um very violent backlashes, and in the u s for example there's been a uh, like an increase in trans representation, and there's a very terrible t- backlash coming alongside that. so I think history will tell, but I agree with Puya it's like we have a we have a, an improvement if you like, and then we have a backlash, but it just keeps i think I think I'm for it definitely, which is not to say that i'm against it I'm for it, but it does come with a very heavy price so um that's a little bit of. Of how I feel, I wanted to say something else, but I forgot.
2: Um, thank you, Omar. I will go over to Hashem, and then I'll open it up for the few Q and A's that we have in the chat. So, if you have additional questions, feel free to add those to the Q and A, and we'll get to whichever we can. So, Hashem, if you'd like to speak to a question.
4: Sure, I'll try to keep it short, Uh, but but basically, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I've spoken a bit about the changes that we've been seeing in the Lebanese uh, society when it comes to media or to the the way the state is dealing or to the way our community is growing and, you know, getting more uh, bold, getting more, but I also want to read, uh, to read hope through the current Uprisings in the region, and not only queer activism, because Lebanon is currently going through a, an uprising since uh, I, I would think started 2015, but mainly October 2019, and it's still ongoing, where there is this refusal of old ways of doing things. And then this also uh, was even more highlighted, I think, around the world with the COVID-19 situation and all the discussions that it created. And the Black Lives Matter. I mean, this is huge as well. I can only read uh, hope through an international lens where I see the whole world, what is happening around the whole world. And there is a sense of change. There is a sense of something new coming. My optimistic nature tends to think that good things are coming. But then, of course, it's going to be difficult. Uh, But this is where I think transnational activism comes in, because we do not have the choice anymore not to organize together and to work in silos in our countries. Uh, So despite the fact that I do see a a beautiful kind of change happening in Lebanon, whether in people's mindsets or even in language, I mean, I feel that I'm reclaiming my Arabic language when I write queer poetry, because I've always thought of Arabic poetry as something that's extremely patriarchal, like only old men old cis men do it and they kind of project their male gaze onto the woman who is only the object of desire and this is what I try to uh, uh, revert in, in the poetry that I do you know because we we speak we also have a voice we as trans and queer people so to reclaim our language to reclaim our public space which has been happening I mean now if you walk in Beirut you see tens of graffiti on the walls and center in the center of Beirut about you know LGBT and queer not being a crime and you know uh, queer not as unhappy but as in fuck you and all of that kind of <laughs> thing uh, so so really uh, very inspiring stuff happening and and even like when tragic things happen like the the loss of our uh, sister Sarah you also see the resilience of the Egyptian queer community uh, in Egypt and outside despite the the, the 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 difficulty of um, of what they are passing through, but they still come together and they show a lot of resilience. Um, and so, so this is where hope comes from from our refusal to shut up.
2: Mm. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you for that <laughs> power for all of us too. Um, I'll turn us over to a few of the questions we have in the Q and A. Yeah, we have some uh, attendees' questions. Uh, as artists, how do you see your, your activism manifest in your creative process? Some of you have spoken a bit to this, but this person would like to know how it affects your artistic choices, decision-making and creative strategies, if one of you would like to speak to it. You don't all have to speak to all of these, but whatever you'd like to.
3: Well, I mean, I will say this as an actor writer, I like, like this specific play that you are directing and Amal has written. This speaks to me because this shows the reality of the community, and also the resilience and the strength of the community across generations and across borders. And uh, as Amal was saying, this idea that more visibility has brought uh, more backlash. I feel that when you become more visible, then people see you and then they have different opinions about that. Either they support you or they want to slam you. And um, I see that across generations. I see that generations before us, they, tried their best to be as visible as they could and kind of let, you know, carry the torch forward. We didn't just like, you know, we're not the first queer people in the Middle East and we've taken some of their legacy uh, as scarce as it may have been as Amal said, you know, it's like the, the stories are there but it's not written because of obvious reasons. And we've taken their legacy and now we do with it the best we can and moving it forward. When I portray a trans woman through her hurdles and show her strength to the best of my ability, I'm trying to make the audience see that, see the authenticity and the humanity and the resilience in that. Now, whether they're queer or not, that is not the issue, but of just seeing that these people these other people, these different people are just like them. They're trying to find their way through. They're trying to have their family They're, They love their children. They love their communities. They try to uh, appease their parents to the best of their ability. And I feel in that sense, when I take on a role, it's not just, okay, well, you know, I, I don't have anything else to do, or, you know, I'm making this huge money on this, but it's also, as an artist, What is this thing that I'm putting forward and how does that affect the world at large? And I feel that as an artist, that is my legacy or that personally, that is what I try to put out there as my legacy.
1: Thank you, Puya.
2: I think I'll take us to this question from Shaina, which is, my question is a more general one. How do we address the transnational activism in the United States while also being mindful of homo nationalism? I worry about talking with American queers, even Middle Eastern queers in America, about Middle Eastern queer issues without it lending a hand to American state-sanctioned violence against people in the Middle East. Would any of you like to speak to that and the dynamics at play there?
5: Aman, do you want to go or? I, I, think, I'll, uh, I think I'll leave this one to you, Hashim. I think it's right in your, <laughs> up your alley as they say. <laughs>
4: Okay, so th- thanks for the question, Shayna. And uh, I think that we've, I mean, I've personally been very involved in the discussions around homo nationalism and, uh, you know, the, whether it's pinkwashing and occupied Palestine by the Israeli state, uh, or it's actually the kind of um, uh, violence that the US puts against our countries here, but also the violence of the savior uh, narrative, you know, of actually just wanting to throw in money and not engage with communities. The fact that uh, uh, the US on the level as a state, I mean, the the, the US as a government uh, tries to use funding and money and all that governmental power to bring in agendas into the, the, the region is horrible as I guess you know. But I think that the way to come around this through transnational activism is by having genuine and authentic partnerships between grassroots organizations that can come together based on common understanding of this dynamic, uh, acknowledging this dynamic, because I've had many discussions with uh, American activists where, you know, they are just not unaware of this dynamic or they refuse out of, you know, patriotism or whatever to acknowledge the presence of this dynamic for us to be able to face it or to change it or to work on it. So I think that us starting to have these discussions with an open mind, and especially with the current organizing happening in the United States uh, and the current organizing happening in our region, uh, then we can, we can reach places of common ground and of, of potentially common organizing. Uh, but I think that, that to start from a critical point of view, from uh, a, an ability to uh, diagnose where uh, the empire is intervening and throwing in money and trying to gain back power, in our our communities uh, is where we can start this conversation. But there's a lot to say on this, but I'll try to keep it short. I hope I spoke a bit to your question.
2: Thank you, Hashim, absolutely. I really appreciate you bringing that analysis in and thank you, Shaina, for the question. Um, I'll bring in one of our questions from our Facebook Live audience, who's also tuning in. Keeping in mind the intersectional character of the queer struggle and the realities of neo-colonialism and imperialism as you have reflected upon, how can allies support the queer and or trans artists in Iran, in Lebanon, in Jordan, and elsewhere? Hashem, I think spoke to this briefly around uh, genuine and authentic partnerships amongst grassroots organizations. How would you see individuals being able to plug into that work?
5: Hello. Can you Sorry, can you read it again? Because the sound
2: sure. was cutting out. Absolutely. So this person has asked, Keeping in mind the intersectional character of queer struggle and the realities of neo-colonialism and imperialism as you reflected upon, how can allies support the queer and or trans artists in Iran, in Lebanon, in Jordan and elsewhere? And I think Hashim spoke briefly to this around genuine authentic partnerships with grassroots organizations and transnationally. And I'm curious if anyone has some thoughts around how individual allies can be plugging into these struggles and how we can be holding these different uh, experiences.
4: Work on your
5: government. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. if possible, work on your government. Um, I think even on personal levels, just um, like the, the um, uh, I was um, there. There was um, a, a young man from Palestine who also passed away uh, recently um, through drowning. And um, it raised a lot of questions also about gender and sexuality in the Middle East because he was a dancer and he defied uh, he, he defied an entire society to become the first male Palestinian uh, ballet dancer and uh, um, there were some comments about that and I remember reading the comments in Arabic and there was one woman who said, I'm a mother and I'm going to raise my children to believe that that's okay and and in LGBT rights and, and, and indifference and I, I felt so moved by her and just the, she just stood out there in the comments as kind of this beacon of light so if you if you want to be an ally and you can, you know, create change on a government level, that's wonderful. If you can't, then take you know the next rung down on the ladder, which might be you know at your company, uh, in the hiring policies, um, in the hierarchies, and and also economically, think about how you how wealth can be redistributed, you know, equally. If you're talking about intersectionality. And, and think about um, the difficulties, for example, trans people in a country like Lebanon or Jordan face in getting a job. I know so many trans people, not only in Lebanon and Jordan, that are unemployed. Here in, in, in Germany, is like the, the unemployment rate among trans people is something like 70%, a friend of mine told me recently. And so it's like, think about that. And then if you want to talk about other forms of allyship, um, it's about being vocal also with your families when they say something truly fucked up, or the way you know your siblings are raising their kids, or you're raising your own kids. It's like stand up for us uh, because um, we're we're you know we're <laughs> we're not having an easy time. And I think uh, the the death of Sarah Hejazi was really uh, a wake up call even to us in the in the queer community. So that's how I would. I would see it and I there are and I have to say there are a lot of people who have you know as virulent as the hatred is there's a lot of people even here today friends of mine who have showed up for me and this is so moving this didn't happen for me in high school it's like uh, it's it's things are really turning around and so for all of you who are already doing that I want to thank you.
3: And support organizations that support these communities, because, I mean, that is, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot, but if it's five dollars, you can donate to an organization that takes up uh, legal cases for, uh, you know, a queer community in your immediate area, because, you know, it's like, I mean, it's always easier to try to react to things that happen in your immediate world. Even if you can do that, I mean, like the money does talk. And a lot of these organizations, whether they're offering legal defense uh, for their clients or they're offering food or housing or uh, job opportunities or educating these people and being able to put them out there so they have more skills. If you can donate to these places, but like Amal says, if you can't, when somebody says something that is wrong, to speak up, that's how we change the world. Maybe it's not a huge change at a time, but step by step, that is how we can make the world a better place.
2: Thank you, Priya. Um We're over time a bit. So I think I'll close our conversation here. There are so many extraordinary questions in the comments. Thank you for engaging with us. There's questions about creating transnational arts referential conversation with our queer family all over the world, engaging in this work. Um, Questions about how we turn our gaze to different directions that are not typically thought about. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your engagement. Thank you for showing up. Um, Thank you for uh, being a part of this work and being a part of this world. I am so appreciative of Puya, of Amal, of Hashem. Thank you also for bringing in Sara and her legacy and her work. Um, And I'm holding in my heart today, all of the lives that have been lost due to homophobia and transphobia and violence in these places and um, holding us all with gentleness today. Um, So thank Thank you you so much. And thanks for everyone who's beautiful. Thank you each so much and I'll turn I'll turn it over with that to back to Adam and to Ellie from uh, the National Queer Theater in Dixon Place. And I hope we hear from some of you and see some of you at Shihimi on Sunday. So thank you very much. Thank you again, Amal and Puya and Hashem. It's a privilege and an honor to hear from all of you.
1: So thank,
0: thank you, you. Okay, thank you all so much. Um, going off of Puya's last comment, I'd, I'd like to shout out two organizations uh, that we've worked with previously. Um, that I would really recommend you donate or volunteer to. One is Outright Action International, which is the largest organization working on international LGBT rights uh, outside of the US. And then inside of the US, Immigration Equality provides free uh, immigration legal services to refugees and asylum seekers who are LGBTQ. So in addition to supporting the artists in our Criminal Queerness Festival, I would really recommend you check out those two organizations. Um, coming thank up you, next- Adam.
4: Year, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm just saying thank you.
0: Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, coming up next in the Criminal Queerness Festival, we have a movement workshop tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern called Queer and Disabled Examining the Imagination with Christopher Nunez, uh, a Costa Rican artist. We'd really love for you to join us on Zoom. And then our reading of Mosque for Mosque by Omar Abbas Salem directed by Sharifa Yasmin is this Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Zoom. And then our reading of Shihimi is gonna be this Sunday. So um, please come check it out.
1: And please um, check out the full lineup and register for free for more events at dixonplace.org. And we hope you'll tell your friends and colleagues about the festival, um, even with masks, words, word of mouth is still the best way to spread the word. So we appreciate that. Um, we are so grateful to all of you for being here today. And uh, if you can support the festival at org slash donate, we're so grateful. I, I, I wanted to share one other thing um, that some of you in New York City may not know that um, a lot of New York, C- New York City theaters are opening their, Uh, their lobbies for protesters as an outpost, um, including Dixon Place. And if you are out in the world, I hope you are um, going to rallies and protests and marches, um, please go to open your lobby. That's like open your lobby, one word, on Instagram um, to find out the locations and the hours for the theaters that are Open for you to stop by and uh, you know refresh yourself, use the restroom, get water, etc. So thank you.
5: Thank you all so much for joining us today. We will see you soon.
1: Thank you.